Good morning, Community Church. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Before we get started, I want to address just a couple of things. First, uh, I realize standing here in front of you right now that my beard, and I'm going to put heavy air quotes around that, looks terrible. I just want to assure you it does get better than this. Uh, at the beginning of November, for No Shave November, I committed as hard as I possibly could and shaved my whole face. Uh, I regret it because I looked like a thumb, uh, and it's, it's slowly coming back now. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Like, I know that some of you are looking at it and being like, ha, that guy. Well, it, it'll get better. I promise. Uh, with that being said, I hope that you guys had a phenomenal Christmas. I'm so excited to be here with you today as we're stepping into the new year. Um, some of you might remember from a sermon I preached a couple of years ago. I'm actually not a New Year's person. For me, it, I've never been big into it. It seemed very arbitrary to me for my whole life. Like this is the day that we've decided to celebrate the fact that we made it one time around the sun. Uh, I, actually, my New Year's tradition is typically we, they probably won't hear this, we lie to our kids about how late it is and they watch a ball drop on like Netflix and we put them to bed and then I go to bed at like 10 o'clock and that's how I ring in the new year. And as I was getting ready for this message, I was really thinking about like, why is that the way, why am I the way that I am? And I realized when I was in ninth grade, it was the year 1999 and we were making the transition into the new millennia. 2000, the year 2000, and there was all of this hype about it. A lot of you probably remember there was this fear about Y2K. There's also this excitement about how, you know, this was, I mean, it's once in a thousand years, right? You roll into the new millennia. And I was with a good friend of mine, uh, and we were sitting, and we were like, all right, it's a big deal, the year 2000, and we were playing a video game, uh, and we were really intent on beating it. And I remember at one point, I looked at my buddy and I was like, dude, we cannot be playing a video game into the year 2000. And he was like, you're totally right. No worries, we won't. And then the year 2000 came and my buddy's sister busts into the living room. She goes, nerds! And we had forgotten. And we had played this video game all the way into the year 2000. And for me, at what was probably the biggest year rollover of my life, I ruined it. I squandered it. And so I'm, I'm pretty apathetic about it now. For a lot of you, though, I know that you're, you really enjoy New Year's, and I hope that you guys have a great New Year's Eve, a great New Year. You know, one of the things I want to talk to you about is I think we have, we have this habit of when we come to the New Year of intentionally looking forward. You know, there's all this, like, New Year, New You stuff. That, you know, we talk about uh, making, you know, New Year's resolutions and all these ways that we can get better. As an introvert, one of the things that I do, and I do quite often, is I take a lot of time to be introspective and actually to think about the things that have happened to me, to look back at my past, to look back at the things that have defined me, the things that have brought me to where I am. And so actually today, as we get ready to roll into the new year, I wanna take some time to look back at this last year. And part of that is because you know, if I'm being honest, this last year's been really hard, right? You look at COVID and you look at kind of the shutdown and everything that's been going on. I know that there are people who have lost loved ones. There are people who have been really sick, right? And it's been a really hard time. I work with students and I know that during the, during the shutdown and during the time that everyone was quarantined, like anxiety and depression and all that stuff skyrocketed. It's been a hard year. And the thing that I want us to understand is that in the midst of that hardship, that God has continued to move. 
right, in the midst of our struggles, that God is still faithful. And I hope that for some of you, you found yourself in this position where you were able to see in the midst of struggle, the goodness of God and God's faithfulness. I, for myself, for my family, like I said, it, you know, it was a hard time, right? There was stress just being in the house, stuck in the house together, figuring out school for the girls and everything. It was all new and it was hard. One thing that really came out of it for us, though, is I feel like as a father, as a husband, I was able to spend more time with my children and with my wife. And as someone who is busy and go, go, go and working and working hard, that for me was God speaking rest into my life. You know, that for me was God telling me, this is what you were created for first, to be a father, to be a husband, and allowing me to take time to do that. So again, I hope for some of you, you had that. There's this interesting thing uh, that we see throughout the whole Bible, uh, and it has to do with this idea of memorials, of building memorials. Um, you know, you look back in the Old Testament at the nation of Israel, right? And there's this interesting thing where God calls the nation of Israel to him and says, you're my people. Like, if you serve me, if you love me, if you follow my commands, I will be your God and you will be my people, right? And then you see as, as time progresses, the Israelites actually end up in Egypt uh, and they fall out of favor and they become slaves for generations, right? They're, they're, they're in Egypt, they're slaves and everything is working against them. And then God sends Moses. And there's this series of amazing, amazing events where God, in an attempt to convince Pharaoh to let his people go, brings these 10 plagues on Egypt, right? And when Pharaoh finally relents and God begins to bring his people out of generation-long slavery, he leads his people through the wilderness in a pillar of fire by night, in a pillar of cloud by day, right? When they get to the Red Sea and they think that it's, it's over, that Pharaoh's chasing them and they're caught, he parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry land, right? When they're hungry, he sends bread, he sends this manna from heaven to feed all of the Israelites, right? When bread's not good enough, he sends quail down for them to eat meat. And then they, they end up at Mount Sinai, and God speaks to Moses, and he speaks to the people, and it actually says that Moses brings all the people to the base of the mountain, and this cloud comes down over the mountain, and actually the presence of God descends onto the mountain. So think about this. The Israelites at this time have been born into slavery. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. Their great-grandparents were slaves. They're brought out of that. They see God move powerfully and miraculously. They actually see and feel his presence at Mount Sinai. And then this really interesting thing happens where it says that God calls Moses to him and Moses goes up onto the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and God speaks to Moses the law and he gives him the commandments and he challenges him with what he wants his people to do. And while Moses is up on the mountain, remember 40 days and 40 nights, his people have just seen God move powerfully on their behalf Moses is gone for 40 days and the people approach Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, we don't know what's happened to Moses. We don't know what's going on with God. Make us an idol that we can worship. 
And Aaron makes them a golden calf. And God actually says to Moses, your people have turned from me. And he sends Moses back down to confront them. And as I've been thinking about this, it just absolutely blows my mind, right? The Israelites have been brought out of slavery. They've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. They walked across the Red Sea on dry ground and saw their pursuers swallowed up by them. And in the space of 40 days, they turned their back on God. And they cast an image out of gold to worship. Later on in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, in chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You know, I've always read this. And again, just thought, like, how could you forget what it is that God has done for you? How could you forget all of the amazing things that God worked to bring an entire nation of people out of slavery. And then I look back at the story that we just read, you know, that we just looked at. It took 40 days. It took 40 days for the people of Israel to say, all that stuff, whatever. Let's worship this golden calf. A little later, uh, when the Israelites have finally kind of reconciled with God and they've done their wandering uh, in the wilderness, we come to these passages in Joshua. And this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time this morning. And so it's in Joshua uh, chapter 4. We're going to start in verses 1 through 7. It says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. According to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And then we pick it back up in verse 20. It says, and these 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Here's another instance of God moving on behalf of his people. See, to enter into the promised land, the land that God said the nation of Israel would take over and inhabit, they had to cross a river, the Jordan River. And in order for them to do so, God actually makes way for them to cross over easily on this dry spot. And here we see God telling Joshua to set up this memorial. 
And I think that there's four things from these verses that we can learn about the idea of memorials as God was directing Israel that we can apply to our lives and that I think we can apply to this last year. The first thing we find in Joshua chapter 4, verse 7 at the end there, and it says, So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. The first thing that a memorial in your life does is it is a reminder of a personal experience. Right? When we build memorials to the things that God have done in our lives, when we see them, when we are reminded of them, we are reminded of the times that God has moved on our behalf. You know, for myself, the way that I do this is a part of what I do is I actually, some of you have probably noticed I have a number of tattoos. And actually all of my tattoos have a meaning. And each of these tattoos represents a time or an event in my life that I can look back on and see the hand of God in my life. Okay, so I actually said all. I, I do have an X-Wing tattoo. That one just reminds me that Star Wars is amazing. Uh, but the rest of them, they can't all be deep. The rest of them remind me of times that God has moved in my life. And when I see them, I'm reminded of his faithfulness towards me. When I see them, I'm reminded of the purpose that he has in my life. For example, this tattoo here is the tattoo of an olive tree. And I got it to commemorate the birth of my youngest daughter, Olivia, who we call Olive. Um, and actually, for us, having Olive, it was really hard. We tried for a long time to get pregnant, and we prayed a lot. We had people praying for us. And when it finally happened, it felt a little bit like a miracle. And then she was born healthy and beautiful. Uh, and she's a wonderful, sassy little six-year-old right now. And there's something to me when I see this that I am reminded of what was a hard time in my life. But I'm also reminded of the good that God worked in it, of the ways that he moved for my wife and I, of the beautiful addition to our family that Olivia is. So these memorials that we set up in our lives are first a reminder of our personal experience. The second thing that we can pull out of this group of verses uh, is found in Joshua 4, 21 through 22, where it says, And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. So the second lesson that we can take from this is that these memorials are a way for us to share our faith with our children. Right? I talked about this tattoo that I had done for my daughter Olivia. She knows that this is her olive tree. She knows that daddy got this for her. And she and I have talked about it. As much as you can talk to a five or a six-year-old about something like this, she knows that it was a hard time for us, but we wanted her so badly, and God blessed us with her. In our conversations, I've talked to her about my faith, about all the people who we've had praying for her before she was even born. And it is a way for me to share that experience, to share my faith with my daughter. You know, some of my other tattoos I've talked to students about, and there are ways for me to share faith, not just with my physical children, but with the people who I disciple, with my spiritual children, 
Right? This is a way for us to communicate the goodness of God to the people who he has put underneath us. The third thing that we find is in Joshua 4.24, the first part there, where it says, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. The third thing that a memorial in your life does is it is a way for you to share your faith with the world. Think about the Israelites, right? And there's this pile of stones set up in this place. And for the Israelites, when they see it, they're reminded of God's goodness for them. When the people, the tribes around them see it, it proclaims God's glory to them. They knew that this monument was set up because the God of the Israelites had worked something powerful there. You know, to use the example of my tattoos, I've had so many conversations with people who I don't think I would have been able to because they've asked, hey, what's, you know, what's the deal with that tattoo? What's the deal with this thing that you have? And I've been able to share my faith. I've been able to talk about God's goodness and faithfulness in my life because I have established this memorial to him. The final thing that a memorial does in our life is found at the end of that verse, Joshua 4.24, the second part, where it says, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. See, beyond helping us look back at what God has done, it is a reminder for us in the future to look for God's goodness. There's a reminder of the promise that God has made to us to work on our behalf. So why am I telling you this, right? Why am I talking about the Old Testament? Why am I talking about memorials? Why did I tell you about my tattoos? It's not because I want you to rush out and get tattoos. Like, please don't do that because of me. But it's because I want you to understand that a memorial is a powerful thing. You know, this year, like I said, it's been hard. It's been challenging. There's been a lot of things that have happened in our lives. A lot of them have been, I think, a struggle. They've been bad. They've been hard. They've been hurt. But again, in the midst of that, I think that God has moved. Right? We talk about here at the church, the things that God has done in the midst of struggle, in the midst of hardship. And we are so blessed and so thankful to see God's faithfulness in every aspect of the ministry of the church here. Personally, in the lives of the staff, we've all shared stories with each other of God's goodness in the midst of hardship. So if you're listening to this message, I think you fall into one of three groups of people. The first group is someone who you have actually experienced the hardship of this last year, but you have seen something good come out of it. Right? You have struggled through this year like everyone else, but you have seen God moving in your life. Whether it's time with family, whether it's rest, whether it's a reconnection to God, Whatever it is, you've seen God moving powerfully on your behalf. And I think for you in this moment, it is right for you to do something to celebrate God's faithfulness in this last year. Right? Write a journal. Paint a picture. Write a poem. Do something so that 
in a year, in two years, when you are struggling, when you are frustrated, or maybe even when things are so good that you're not focusing on God, you have a reminder of the ways that God has moved in your life. The second group of people who might be listening to this, you've had a really hard year. And actually, you're sitting there and you're like, Jeff, you're talking about God's goodness. You're talking about something good coming out of this and nothing good has come out of this year. It's been a train wreck. It's been a nightmare. I can't wait for it to be over. And what I would challenge you with is to look back on the rest of your life before this year and think about the times that God has moved. Think about a hard time in your life and the way that God brought you through it and the reward and the the relationship that was built out of it and the goodness that came from it and know that God doesn't change, that God is still faithful, that God is still working on your behalf and know that even though you don't see it right now, God is going to turn something to good for you out of this year. And I know what I'm asking you is hard because in the midst of hurt and in those valleys, it's so hard to want to look forward. It's so hard to want to look up. But my challenge to you is this, is the challenge that God had to the Israelites. Remember the good that was done to you so you do not forget the Lord. What are the memorials that you have set up in your life from before that you can look at, that you can cling to, that will remind you of the promise that God has for you. Actually, the third group of people uh, who might be listening to this, you don't know God. You're not a Christian. And that's okay, we're so glad that you're here with us today. But what I would say to you is that God loves you so very much. Right, what I would say to you is that in the midst of a hard year, God has brought you to where you are now, to where you're hearing the words that I have to say to you. And what I want you to understand is that God is desiring and seeking a relationship with you. God who created you, who spoke life into you, wants to continue that process of speaking life and purpose into you and bring you back into relationship with him. If that's not something that you've ever thought about, if that's not something you've ever considered, but you feel a prompting right now in your spirit, if you feel something nudging you to say, I want that, I want that relationship with God, with the one who created me, there's a live prayer button uh, in the chat that you're looking at if you're online or if you're in Facebook, just go ahead and type like, I need someone to pray with me and one of the hosts will reach out to you. What I need you all to understand is how good God is. What I need you all to understand is that sometimes, even though it doesn't feel like it, even though we don't see it, God loves us. God is actively working on our behalf. And this idea of setting up memorials, of setting up monuments, gives us something tangible to hold on to, a reminder of what God has done in the past and a promise of what God says he will do in the future. You know, for the church, one of the greatest memorials that we have is the act of communion. 
where we celebrate Jesus Christ who came to earth, was fully God and fully man, who died on a cross for our sins to bring us back into right relationship with God. And so I think as we talk about memorials today, it's only right that we end with communion that we celebrate what it is that Jesus has done for us, right? When he broke the bread and he took the juice, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of the sacrifice that I am making to bring you back into right relationship with God. And so that you will always remember how loved you are, how valued you are, how desired you are. I'm gonna take a second, I'm gonna walk over, I'm gonna grab my elements. If you don't have the communion elements with you, now's the great time for you to go and get them. If you have them with you, I would encourage you to take the next 30 seconds to think and to pray and to thank God for the things that he's done in your life. Examine your heart so that when we take communion together, you can come to God um, the way that he wants you to. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat at a table with his disciples. And he broke bread with them and he prepared them for ministry and for what was to come. And there was this moment where he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that will be broken for you. And whenever you eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death. And remember and proclaim the goodness of God. Take and eat the bread. And Jesus actually did the same thing with the cup where he poured for his disciples this wine. He said, whenever you drink this wine, it represents the blood that I'm going to shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Church, this little piece of our service today, the act of communion, like I said, is maybe one of the greatest memorials that we as a people have to celebrate the goodness of God, to celebrate the faithfulness of God. In this moment of dying on the cross, Jesus brought God's plan for redemption to every single person who believes. And I hope that for each of you, you've experienced over your life the goodness of God. I know for myself, my wife and I have story after story after story of God's faithfulness. You know, when we didn't deserve it, God was faithful. When we had the most needs, God was faithful. 
when everything was going great and our eyes strayed from God because we didn't need to come to him on our knees broken and hurting, God was faithful. And so I just want to ask you today, what are the memorials in your life? What are the things that you have established that celebrate God's goodness? What are the things that you have that you can look at, a tangible reminder of where you were and where God has brought you to? Because God's faithful and he's good. And even when we don't see it, he's working for us. We're gonna spend some time in worship now and just singing a song that I love that celebrates God's goodness, that celebrates God's faithfulness and the way that he's always moving on our behalf. Have a great day, church.